Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and I thank you for finding my podcast. Here you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but your faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. So let's read Philippians 3, and it's from the message, a kind of more contemporary translation. But I'm well on my... uh, Sorry again. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I'm well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal, where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. Stick with me, friends. Keep track of those you see running this same course, headed for this same goal. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. All they want is Easy Street. They hate Christ's cross. But Easy Street is a dead-end street. Those who live there make their bellies their God. Belches are their praise. All they can think of is their appetites. But there's far more to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven. We're awaiting the arrival of the Saviour, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which he is putting everything as it should be under and around him. The word of God for us today. It has been a difficult season for many of the families that are a part of a simple faith, a difficult season for many of our extended families. Reading the prayer updates of late has been like taking body blows from some invisible heavyweight fighter. The punches rain down and there's no way or no one to punch back at. Can I just a little vocal right here, thanks. I'm not intending to embarrass anyone or to exclude anyone, but just in these recent days, Kate Simonson, Kevin's Simonson's mother, teetered right on the very edge of eternity, a quickly and almost deadly electrolyte malfunction in her body, and I know that they appreciate your prayer. She is recovering. I know that Keith Marika has seen specialists of late regarding lung scarring and a lessening capacity that may 
requires some radical intervention. Jeff and Sue Allen's family has been in a wrestling match of questions and prayer and fear. Their daughter, Becky, was diagnosed with melanoma and required plastic surgery this past week to her nose and to her face. Thankfully, her lymph nodes have come back just Friday, back negative for any further cancer. And this is while Jeff's brother undergoes radiation for brain cancer and Sue's niece in her 40s and healthy died suddenly this past week of a brain aneurysm. My cousin Alicia Bearden passed away this week. She was buried yesterday. After a decade-long struggle with metastatic breast cancer, she leaves behind her husband and two young adult children, both in college. I saw my young friend Ivy's mom this week for the first time since Ivy took her own life. I think of baby Sarah, granddaughter of John and Aaron Oden, weeks old and enduring surgery after delicate surgery to stay alive. And then there is a full collection of the routine but very real challenges and sufferings across the board requiring a, a prayer, a good word, a few visits with a therapist, a gentle touch, a listening ear, and even as Anna was reading the scripture reading this morning, my watch and phone were going off with the alert of another passing. And again, not to minimize or to overlook anyone in this catalog of concerns, but I was absolutely stunned by the news this week of the passing of Jimmy Parrish. You may not have known Jimmy or his wife MJ, but for years they have been staples of the South Walton community. If I recall correctly, many of us go all the way back to about 2006 or so, all the way back to our days together at the Seaside Chapel. Here's a picture of Jimmy and MJ with plastic Jesus I was on my way to Israel for the very first time speaking of things to pray for. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem today in that entire area. In 2016, I was on my way to Israel for the very first time. And at the time, seems like it was yesterday, my young son, who's now 20, bought me a plastic Jesus to take with me. They paused and took this picture for me in the airport. Jimmy was always in an airport, it seems, working in Atlanta, New York, on his way to Birmingham. MJ, as you see, often traveled with him, but she also anchored their home and hosted a women's Bible study in her home. Many from a simple faith and beyond attended that Bible study now for over a decade. Jimmy had a bicycle wreck this week. Bicycle wreck. He's strong and fit for any age. I was not surprised to hear that he had been bike riding the deep abrasion that he suffered on his hand, however, contracted some nasty bacteria, a fluke, a one in a million possibility, and Jimmy was in trouble within a couple of days, antibiotics, dialysis, as the infection attacked his kidneys, amputation of his right arm in an attempt to save his life, a second surgery to irrigate and clean the tissue, and just as his odds of survival began to improve, a blood clot released from his lung Friday evening. And this beautiful man was simply gone. I have no explanations. I have no formula for understanding any of this. I could tell you that God has a plan in everything, but when you are suffering, those words produce more anger than they do comfort. I could say that 
God needed another angel in heaven, but God doesn't need anything. And I certainly, I definitely won't tell you that this, Jimmy's death and all that I have shared, is God's will. I'm not Calvinistic or fatalistic enough for that. I'm with the Reverend William Sloan Coffin here, and forgive me for sharing this repeatedly, but some words and some stories become such a part of your own being that you use them to make meaning of the meaningless. And this story, this real-life response in suffering works for me. When Coffin was pastor of the Riverside Church in New York City, his son Alex died in a single car accident. An accident. In a blinding rainstorm, he mistakenly drove his car into the Boston Channel on his way back to college and drowned. Somehow, just ten days after Alex's death, his father gave the eulogy. I keep a copy of it in my files, and a portion of it reads like this. Driving in a terrible storm, my son Alexander, who was to his friends a real day brightener, and to his family, fair as a star when one is shining in the sky, my 24-year-old Alexander, who enjoyed beating his old man at every game and in every race, beat his father to the grave. When a person dies, there are many things that can be said. But there is at least one thing that should never be said. The night after Alex died, I was sitting in the living room of my sister's house outside of Boston when the front door opened, and in came a nice-looking middle-aged woman carrying about 18 quiches. When she saw me, she shook her head. Then she headed for the kitchen, saying sadly over her shoulder, I just don't understand the will of God. Instantly, I was up and in hot pursuit, swarming all over her. I'll say you don't, lady, I said. For some reason, nothing so infuriates me as the incapacity of seemingly intelligent people to get it through their heads that God does not go around this world with fingers on triggers, his fists around knives, his hands on steering wheels. Never do we know enough to say, this is the will of God. My own consolation lies in knowing that it was not the will of God that Alex die, that when the waves closed over his sinking car, God's heart was the first of all hearts to break. And he concludes his thoughts by saying this, Yes, I know all the right biblical passages. These passages are true, I know. But while the words of the Bible are true, grief renders them unreal. The reality of grief is the absence of God. The reality of grief is the solitude of pain. The feeling that your heart is in pieces, your mind is blank, that there is no joy in the world that can give like the world can take away. And then this slide here. But God is not around for anyone's protection, just for everyone's unending support. And that's what hundreds of you understood so beautifully. You gave me what God gives all of us, minimum protection, but maximum support. I swear to you, I wouldn't be standing here were I not so upheld.
I don't think it is mechanical to connect the events of these days and Coffin's words here with today's reading from the lectionary. You've heard it, Philippians 3, 12 through 21, and it could be Paul at his best. I say could be because for as much as some of us like to wrangle with this old Pharisee, Paul is consistently brilliant. And it's hard to say which paragraph or two could be his best. Maybe Romans 8, maybe 1 Corinthians 13, maybe Galatians 5, maybe Ephesians 3, Colossians 1, Philippians 2 from last week, and this text today. This is a greatest hit album that I've just given you. And this text today surely is on the A side of that record. The summary of Paul's thinking in his text is simple, it is powerful, it is true, even if these words are rendered unreal by grief for some today. Here's the summary. About today, I have not arrived. I don't have it all figured out. I will never have it all figured out. About yesterday, I can't go back and change a thing. I don't dwell on my past. About tomorrow, I will press on. I will keep on keeping on. And I will do this until I'm dead or until Christ comes because in the end, somehow, in some way, we will be united with Christ. That bears repeating. About today, I have not arrived. I don't have it all figured out. I will never have it all figured out. About yesterday, I can't go back and change a thing. I won't dwell on that. About tomorrow, I will press on. I will keep on keeping on. And I'll do this until I'm dead or until Christ comes. Because in the end, somehow and some way, we will be united with Christ. I'm going to tread lightly and carefully here because the pain and loss for many of late is still so present and raw. And to those, I would say that I love you and not for a minute would I minimize any of that. Take your time. Heal best as you can. Pull away into your thoughts and precious memories. Grieve, process, cry, rage, question, wrestle. Go deep within. Go way back. But don't you stay back there. Get depressed. Get angry. But get well and get going. No, not everyone can hear that today. And that is as it should be. But some of us need to hear that. Some of us need to do business with the past. Our past. We need to do some Forgetting of the past, as Paul recommends and as Paul practiced. Now, this doesn't mean that our memories are a magic dry erase board that just, you can wipe it clean. (laughs) As we get older, I tend to think that, though, don't you? Suddenly, everything that was registered and recorded is getting wiped away. But we know it doesn't work that way. And you can never forget, you should never forget, those in your past whom you have loved, and whom have loved you, 
you shouldn't forget the hard and heartbreaking lessons of the past. You'll be doomed to repeat them if you don't. You can't live in the present or live for tomorrow without being informed by your past. But you cannot change a single thing about yesterday. You can't go back to it and all those I should have and I could have and what ifs are grave markers in a cemetery of reality that will never be. To use your precious energy trying to reconstruct a better past, to return to some golden era of your life, to try and rewrite your personal history book is a fool's errand. You have today. You might have tomorrow. But you certainly do not have yesterday. And again, it's not callousness toward those in the fresh fire of grief. It's for those who have been stuck for a little while. Sometimes I do retreats and work with small groups, be it spiritual direction or Enneagram work or what have you. And there's a fun thing that I like to do. It's fun for me. It turns out not to be fun for everyone involved. But I like to take a larger group and divide them into smaller groups. And then give each small group a little box, a little children's puzzle, 50, 75 pieces. And I hand these little boxes and puzzles out and they all get busy and it's an interesting thing that they do. They all start racing to complete the task even when no one has said it's a contest. But that's what they start doing. Now, the fly in the ointment is this. One of those puzzles will have a handful of wrong pieces mixed in together. And I'm cruel that way. Or an even more fun trick is to give them a complete puzzle, but the puzzle pieces won't match the picture that's on the box. And it never fails. Each group pours the pieces out and they start working the edges and looking at the picture on the box. And after a few minutes, the group with the jacked up puzzle realizes that something is wrong. Everybody else seems to be doing just fine. And they start looking around at everyone else's progress. And they start asking, why won't the pieces in the box we have been given, why won't they fit together? And then they protest. This isn't fair. This is a trick. You sabotaged us. Ah. And the question I put forward to them is this one. What are you going to do upon the discovery that the pieces are not going to go together as you thought they would or they should? And I've seen people, even after they know they don't have the right pieces, still trying to jam the corners together, still trying to make it Work, And that's the metaphor for getting stuck in the past. The frustrated types just 
Keep working at it. The retreat moves on. We move on to the next segment. But there, here they are with those pieces. And I've even seen them get up and leave their seat to go get pieces off another person's table. They can't leave it alone. Surely I can make this fit. No, you can't. I made sure of that. And if a person can get so stuck with a children's puzzle trying to put together a horse that is obviously a roller coaster, how stuck can we get when it comes to an injustice committed against us in our past? How stuck can we get with a failure, a divorce, a financial collapse, a life that ends too soon, an addiction? Well, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I know, but it's how it is. This isn't fair. Tell me about it. This isn't the picture on the box. Who told you your life was going to match the picture on the box? And every minute you take fussing and cussing and protesting and fist shaking is another moment you lose today, which is all you have. Stop trying to make sense of it. Because sometimes no sense can be made. Logic fails. Stop the interrogation of yourself and others with questions that can now not be answered. Why did she do that? How could I have been so blind why did it take me so long? Where was God when this happened? Who changed the pieces on my puzzle box? I don't know. And sometimes I don't know is sufficient enough answer for now. I will go as far to say this. Once you are aware that you have gotten yourself stuck in the past or mired down in something you can't do anything about, don't even try to let it go. Do you know why? It's already gone. The ideal picture of how you thought it should be is already gone. Accepting the past is the work, not letting it go. And while I'm at it, I'll throw out a word that I have come to despise. It's the word closure. Don't use that word again unless you're talking about slamming your bedroom door. Closure, when it comes to some wounds and when it comes to some losses, closure does not exist. There is only getting up the next morning, brewing your coffee, clearing the cobwebs, tying your laces, and moving again. I'm not talking about getting over the past because some things you will never get over, you just get through. I'm not talking about suppressing or burying or ignoring what has happened to you. I'm talking about using it all as energy and entry to a future that may not match what you envisioned, but it is a future that is eagerly waiting on you and your arrival. Because that is where Christ calls us. It's always where Christ calls us. 
When Jesus called his first disciples, when he called the Apostle Paul, and when he speaks to each of us, it's two simple words. Follow me. And that is action. That is movement. That is a future-oriented position to take. Jesus never leads us backwards. He leads us forwards into today and into the future. And that is true whether you are nine or whether you are 90. If your life is just beginning or if your life is on the cusp of the life that is to come, it is still the truth. God is drawing us onward to Christ. So let us be off and running. And if you can't run, walk. And if you can't walk, crawl. And if you can't crawl, Christ will come and meet you where you are. So long as we are leaving the past behind and moving toward what is ahead.